three speech acts that came to me in the last couple of days. Um, and I'm going to read them very briefly because they really illustrate um, what, what I would like to um, speak about. One of them is a tweet, one of them is an email, and one of them is a Facebook post. Um, the first one is the email um, that I got on Monday from a um, Al-Bustan seat of culture in Philadelphia announcing a new mural in West Philadelphia. As you know, Philadelphia has a muralist tradition and the city commissions um, artists to come and, and uh, paint murals in the city. And this was um, in partnership with Mural Art Philadelphia, the email says, we are thrilled to host Tunisian-French artist LC for an upcoming mural in West Philadelphia as part of our, of our ongoing displaced project. Um, so this is um, LC, the French-Tunisian graffiti artist who became um, uh, very well known during the Tunisian uprising, um, coming to Philadelphia, commissioned to uh, paint in Europe. This was Monday. Um, yesterday, on Twitter, um, Carl Chagro, who I know many of you might follow on Twitter, tweeted the following. Um, 2011, yay, social media can disrupt the political order. Then, 2017, shit, social media can disrupt the social order. This morning, on Facebook, um, the um, comedian Basim Youssef, who became famous during the Egyptian uprising, uh, posted um, um, around 8 a.m. that he was traveling from JFK Airport in New York. And this is what he says. He says, quote, the beginning of a very long trip, speaking, performing, and book signing in New York, at Penn State, at, in Ann Arbor, in Madison, in Toronto, in Montreal, New York again, Richmond, Nashville, then back to Los Angeles. So the question I'd like to begin uh, with um, are um, two issues. What, I'm, what I'd like to speak about is the fate of some individual cultural producers, media creators, um, um, during the Arab uprisings, but also the fate of some media institutions and how their status has changed drastically from sort of the before, the during, and, and the aftermath of the uprisings. But I want to begin with a question. What does it mean when um, two revolutionary artists, one of them a, um, a graffiti um, writer, the other one is a comedian, uh, one of them started spraying um, um, political graffiti on some walls, um, the other began a comedy show on YouTube that was then picked up uh, by one channel, that was then moved to another channel, he became world famous, um, he was invited by John Seward. So what does it mean for revolutionary art, for revolutionary cultural production, to achieve global fame by the standards of the gallery, of the museum, of the market, of ratings? So that's question number one. Uh, question number two, and this is um, in relation to, um, to Carl's tweet about uh, social media's supposed ability to disrupt the social order. What does it mean when the discourse about digital technology has moved from the utopia of uh, what, what analysts call digitally enabled activists, who were of course um, great people because they were busy um, overthrowing or trying to overthrow um, Bashar and Husni and, and, and Ben Ali and all of them on the one hand, to a discourse a few years later, a dystopian discourse about ISIS militants um, reaching teenage European girls in their bedrooms um, through Facebook, um, through Twitter, through Telegram. What, what does this mean for our understanding, for the way we understand media, for the way we understand um, the impact of media on social and political change, for the way we understand the impact of media and cultural production long after the event, right? So the way I like to think of this is we have 
the event, major events, you have um, um, hundreds of thousands of people massed in Tahrir Square. The media are doing, uh, are being activated. People are um, tweeting. They're taking photos. All that stuff. Um, and then we have the event dies out, but we have several incidents. Think of this as as an earthquake and then aftershocks, right? So the aftermath consists of a bunch of aftershocks. So these are. Um, this is what I'd like to talk about very briefly: the aftershocks and what. Uh, what those mean um, today. So one of the interesting things about this, so let me preface it by saying, number one, I am a skeptic, and I remain a skeptic uh, about all the hype um, that we saw about the role of social media in the Arab uprisings and other social movements and in revolution in general. So I want to register uh, um, that. Uh, second, I'd like to, to begin um, um, sort of conceptualizing this through the prism of this notion of creative insurgency, um, that I developed in The Naked Blogger of Cairo, to take into account all these activist, um, art-making, um, creative-making, um, 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 cultural production activities that activists engaged in. And I make, I make the argument in the book that um, basically successful cultural forms, cultural forms that achieve a high degree of visibility and some impact um, during political contention, Tend to make, um, tend to establish connections uh, between sort of historical uh, memory and, and and contemporary social resonance. They tend to establish um, links between local political issues and more um, global uh, political themes. So think of it in terms of um, you know the Egyptian government uh, putting activists in jail without due process and sort of human rights discourse in general. I also argued that uh, um, creative insurgency. Um, looks at um, cultural forms that are stylistically very peculiar. In other words, they have to be designed. They have to have certain kinds of, of color, of shape, of tonality, of lyricism, um, in order to, 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 to create certain affects so people actually pay attention. So these are cultural forms that are in search of wide circulation, that are designed for wide circulation, and that are in search of, 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 of recipients. Now, having said this, uh, one of the most interesting things then is to try to think about the trajectory of a lot of these, quote unquote, um, um, creative insurgents. Um, so one scenario would, 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 would be the one of co-optation, which is to say, if Ganzir um, leaves um, on the streets of Cairo and ends up in a gallery in Brooklyn, then Ganzir must have sold out. I disagree with that assessment. I think for the most part, um, a lot of the um, um, people still remain true to their colors. I mean, um, one of the things that, one of the first things Ganzir did when he arrived um, um, in the US was to create stencils um, um, criticizing the, the NYPD, right? So, so, so there was sort of this creative insurgent um, energy that carried over the trip from the gritty street of Cairo to the gallery um, um, in Brooklyn, uh, where he had a residence at the beginning. Um, El Cid is, a, is another personality um, that also became uh, sort of achieve, achieved worldwide fame through um, his, his uh, artistic activism. Uh, you know, he designed scarves for uh, Louis Vuitton. He, he, he also, so, so these are people who are appreciated by a, by a variety of, of, of um, aspects or institutions of what in the book I called the corporate creative curatorial complex, the network of museums, galleries, um, art dealers, uh, um, uh, universities, media institutions that create a new kind of valorization of their work. Um, so the problem, though, of course, is uh, when revolutionary art leaves its context of production and becomes valued um, through other criteria, 
then we have to ask the question of what impact. Is, it, is, is this lost energy? Is this lost creativity? Or is it rather uh, better to think about it as something that is being stored, that's gaining uh, valorization, uh, that's eventually, that's gaining a new public, perhaps, that would then come back to the realm of the political? I think that's, that's an important question. I don't really have an answer uh, to this. The second thing is to talk uh, very briefly about um, how different media institutions, how the field of uh, media industries, you know, the business, the big, uh, the Al Jazeera's, the Al Arabiyas of, of the world, um, how their fortunes have changed um, during and in the aftermath of the Arab uprising. As you know, just to use one example, uh, during the Arab uprisings, um, Al Jazeera and Al Arabiya achieved the kind of, of, of rapprochement, of uh, editorial convergence, particularly over Syria. Uh, where, um, of course, they were opposed uh, um, to the government and supported the rebels, and over Bahrain, where it was the other way around. One of the most interesting things uh, for this is, of course, this creates an opening, right? And this is uh, where you have new players like Al-Mayadeen, who may have entered the scene a little earlier, but who suddenly there's an ideological position on the spectrum um, that is waiting to be grabbed. Um, and that's what Al-Mayadeen did, right? On, whether it's on the issue of Palestine, whether it's on the role of Hezbollah, uh, whether it's about um, who do you side with, so the sort of Russian, Iranian, Syrian uh, um, resistance axis, or uh, ax, ax, or do you side uh, with the other side and all that. So we have shifts in um, in these industries um, that I think remain, like the, the final implications of these remain to be seen. I mean, we, we now have the Saudis and the Qataris lost in this battle of absolutely ridiculous propaganda um, against each other um, since the last GCC crisis. This creates openings for new players to come in, even if um, Gulf um, um, ruling families with their petrodollars seem to have a lock on uh, the sort of transnational pan-Arab media field. Um, what I'd like to conclude uh, my, my thoughts with, um, and please please interrupt me if I'm, if I'm hitting my, my time limit, is um, this notion of the shift in public discourse about the impact, the social and political impact of media. And so the, the, the Arab Spring was sort of a high point, a high watermark of attention, where global attention, um, academic discourse from all over the world was focused on Arab media. Uh, so much got published about um, digital communication, social media, television during the Arab uprisings. We're still only beginning to get a sense of the magnitude, to get a sense of the quality, which does unfortunately not, not tend to be great uh, about all of these. But I think it's very important to try to think uh, uh, this through, which is what does it mean when you have huge excitement um, everywhere, not just in the West, about you know, Al Jazeera, this voice of democracy, until I broadcast um, the, the bin Laden tapes. Then we have, we move to um, different positions in Al Jazeera depending on how it stands, on how it covers um, certain adventures, uh, certain geopolitical adventures of the U.S. in particular and its local partners. And then we move into the Arab Spring where we, we also have these shifts, right, which is Twitter is fantastic, Facebook is great, it's, an, it's a technology of freedom, it's a technology of emancipation until ISIS shows up. And then we start talking about these as technologies of darkness, as technologies of death. You know, what does that mean? Well, what it means, um, and this is sort of a, a note of caution for all of us, what it means is that oftentimes academic and journalistic discourses about media in the Middle East, particularly in times of political upheaval, tend to be driven, uh, tend to be driven by very narrow and very immediate policy interests, uh, people who are thinking about today and tomorrow and just stopping there. 
as opposed to looking at truly deep historical pattern um, of, of, of institutional development, of political change, of editorial constraints, so on and so forth, of journalistic practice, right? So it's very important for us, I think, to take the long view and not try to come up with, with sort of important sweeping conclusions seven years after, um, seven years into the aftermath. And the last thing I wanna uh, focus on and I'll conclude with this, at least in my own uh, work. One of the things I've been, I've been uh, working on lately is to sort of reevaluate the, the notion of media, of course, including things like the human body, including things like puppetry, all kinds of things that we don't tend um, um, ipso facto to include nowadays in our definition of media, and think of how those have changed from um, the Arab uprisings, uh, what I called aspirational media, right, or the aspirational image, people who cre are creating image with the idea of fomenting social political change and how the global uptake is of, of, of those images, to what I'm now calling the projectilic images of groups like ISIS, where the image, uh, rather than trying to convey uh, meanings, ideologies, trying to push for any kind of social political change, uh, from aspirational, the image becomes projectilic. In other words, it tends to, it tries to cause harm, to create literally bodily harm. And this is where um, I think there needs to be some kind of a shift in um, what is the content, what is included on, on, um, on screens, uh, in sounds, um, all the stuff that we call media in general, to thinking a little more deeply and a little more systematically in what kind of feelings these elicit in us. So rather than how they represent uh, um, the world to us, how they make us feel in the world. And this is sort of a broader shift, I think, from representation to affect. Um, Raya is presenting um, um, tomorrow um, at CARD uh, about her research, and, and she, she um, I don't know if she's going to speak about um, affect necessarily, but I think this is something we need to pay attention to, and I'll stop there. Thank you. Thank you.